0: This podcast was made with Descript. Descript is a groundbreaking new media tool that allows creators to edit audio and video like a text document and create a realistic clone of their own voice for seamless
1: edits. Please check out our Patreon at Asian Hustle Network. We want Asian to continue being meaningful and give back to the Asian community. If you enjoy our podcast and would like to contribute to our feature, we hope you become a patron. Hey guys, welcome to the Asian Hustle Network Podcast. My name is Brian. And my name is Maggie. And we interview Asian entrepreneurs around the world to amplify their voices and empower Asians to pursue their dreams and goals.
0: We believe that each person has a message and a unique story from their entrepreneurial journey that they can share with all of us. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Asian Hustle Network podcast. Today, we have a very special guest. His name is Min Park and he is an investment banker at JP Morgan and also is CFO of Rooster and Rice, a growing restaurant chain out of the Bay Area. He has worked in finance for over 10 plus years covering technology companies and at the same time has expanded and used his finance expertise to help pivot this restaurant chain and help it survive in the evolving technology landscape and the current COVID-19 environment. His business partners include Jason Wang and Sean Cao, Co-founders of Caviar, the food delivery app, which sold to Square in 2014. Min, welcome to the show.
2: Okay, thanks, guys. Wow, Maggie, you have like a perfect
1: podcast voice. It's amazing.
0: <laughs> thank you, thank you. I've been practicing a lot. <laughs>
1: yeah, man. So let's jump right into it, man. So what was your upbringing like? Like, how did you, you get all these strong values that you got to create all your businesses that you're doing right now?
2: Oh yeah, sure. Um I I mean I, I'm an only child. Uh I've lived in the Bay Area for almost the entirety of my life. Uh my parents, you know, were immigrants here. Uh they you know, like my my dad was a very traditional, I think, like immigrant of that time where, you know, he bounced around from company to company. It was very difficult for him to, you know, you know, succeed in the American cultural barrier, um, and the American workplace when like, he just grew up being Korean. So like, you know, like when, you know, like one of the funny things, like, I think like a stereotype for Koreans is that they have like a high Han, like a high temper. Mm-hmm. And I just remember as a child, like, my dad would just get fired like all the time. <laughs> and it, it, it is really because like in Korea, like, it's socially acceptable to kind of like yell and like kind of get mad. And like when you have like a common like disagreement and then in America, you know, like that's not really the way, right. You usually like try to resolve it, avoid conflict and stuff like that. So he never was like a match for it. And I remember when I was like 10 years old, my mom and dad had this huge fight. He, uh, cashed in the 401k Then told tell my mom quit his job on the same day and bought wow. this like shack in Sunnyvale and uh I, I grew up I grew up around there and he bought this shack and he was like I'm gonna flip this house and my mom was like what do you know about f- flipping houses he was an accountant and uh his his parents owned a restaurant And so he didn't know anything about that. So, and this was like really pre-internet. I mean, I'm going to like date myself. Like there was like no Google even back then. And, um, so he just like went around and like asked these people to like show him the ropes and his first flip looked pretty bad. And he still was able to do it and like made a little bit of money. And then he did it again and again and again. And it was like pretty amazing. Like, uh, he like, you know, like was able to like put me through school and like do all that stuff. And like, it was just like a trait that he learned in like a very like hustling way, like very indicative of a lot of our members on Asian Hustle Network. And then, but you know, like being the kid in that environment and like just seeing like all of like the lack of structure and like all that stuff, um, you know, for me, it was like very volatile. And you know, when I approach kind of like the way I do my business dealings, like, you know, I I, kind of grew up Asian American. So uh, I kind of like know what like my dad is good at, at like the hustling side. And then I was able to like apply it in a systemic way to kind of succeed in like corporate America. Also helps me like evaluate Uh, you know, businesses like Rooster and Rice was um, a big investment for us. And um, I I wanted to make sure like I could recognize what's like hustling versus like what's like, you know, kind of like of high integrity and like what people could do in a tough situation. Cause I often had that growing up. So yeah, uh, that's, that's kind of like how that transpired.
1: Wow. That's, that's really awesome to hear. I had no idea like your dad was a house flipper too. It's awesome to hear, you know,
2: yeah. I mean, the worst moment for sure. Well, I mean, and we're kind of like in the midst of a recession right now, though, mm-hmm. you know, Bay area and tech and the IPO market Airbnb going out today is just like insane. Um, you know, as in like 2008, 2009, I, I was uh, going to go work as an investment banker at a bank that no longer exists. Um, I, I thought I would had my job secure the whole time. I even graduated a semester early and then, uh, I, I lost it before it started because the firm went under and then, um, my dad had all these properties. Right. And he bought them like in the, in a day where like mortgages were easier to get low downs and like uh, the values like went underwater. So for like three years in the recession, I was able to find a corporate job, but, I mean, like, I was just helping my dad kind of, like, float those. So yeah. he doesn't really do that anymore. He's more of, like, a handyman now. He, like, kind of retired from the flipping game. But, mm-hmm. yeah, that was that was a long time. <laughs> that was, like, a stressful wow. time. Wow.
0: So while you were helping out your dad, did he ever expect you to kind of, like, take you under his wing? Like, did they have any expectations of, like, what kind of industry you would go in or were they really laid back? Like, you can do, you know, what your passion – where your passion lies.
2: Yeah, I think uh, my, my dad – when i was like in high school he uh took me to one of his projects and it was like a painting project for one of his uh and i i took like all the way up to ep spanish so i was like semi fluent and a lot of like uh his employees spoke spanish so i was like able to kind of like kind of like bridge the language gap from my dad to them and then uh but you know like i was like my dad's son the owner's son so they like kind of <laughs> messed with me so the first day um they were all wearing like hats um, Cause we're like painting like a roof and like, uh, no one told me why they were all wearing hats. I thought it was just like sunny. And, uh, by the end of the day, I had all this paint in my hair and it was like semi-permanent and I was, like, oh shoot. Like that was like kind of like lesson one. And then I was just like not good at it. I mean, like, I think it was like a good trial. Um, to definitely see like if I could like do it. And I think my dad always like wondered like, oh, how come you're going to corporate America? Corporate America sucks. Like, <laughs> I, 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 I like made pretty much all my money doing going the entrepreneurial route. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you know, like I, I, I think there are like pluses and minuses to both. And uh, yeah, so so it's, it's funny because like we'll like look at the exact same situation and like now that I'm older, he'll be like, yeah, all you have to do this is like, you just have to like take this guy out for dinner and like make sure like he, he feels the referral love and I'm like I'm not gonna do that that's like a government person I'm not gonna do that <laughs> like, like, yeah so um yeah I, I think they probably had like one idea that worked for them but like it quickly like they kind of accepted the fact that like you know like we're very different on that
1: yeah, yeah. wow yeah. That's pretty awesome to hear, man. Yeah. I never realized you had that kind of upbringing. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 for sure, for sure.
0: Yeah. Oh, and so, yeah, I would love to know, like, how did you get started in food? You know, you were at J.P. Morgan, and then now, you know, you're the CFO of Rooster and Rice. How did that all start?
2: Yeah, sure. So, um, it really transpired. Um, I was working at a different bank before J.P. Morgan, and, um you know, we were kind of like, like two of my friends started Caviar. Um, I still remember their first offices and, you know, it was right across the office from my corporate job and we were friends for such a long time. And, you know, like it was, it was pretty crazy. Right. And then I, they, they took no salary, you know, like kind of live off of like what they, what they killed. And like, you know, eventually had a great exit to square and You know, like, but they, 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 and then when they exited, they wanted to make these investments, but they were tech guys. So, you know, like, like structuring the deal and figuring out like how to make it like tax friendly and, and legally you know, like how to best like finance it with debt or equity, you know, they needed some help with that. So I helped them with some of the food deals. Uh, We went to Bonchon in San Jose as well. And that was an M&A. So, um, yeah. And then, and then Rooster and Rice came up and I love Rooster and Rice. Um, we were kind of like contemplating doing a chicken and rice restaurant at the time. We had a couple of stores open, but, um, we had some kind of like, uh, issues, uh with with that project so we thought it would be best to combine and you know like for all of us like no matter what fields we're in they're in tech i'm in finance we just love restaurants i mean restaurants are great even in the pandemic like i know like a lot of people think like definitely restaurants are like suffering right from like not having in-person dining but like a lot of things like people can't go anywhere so they really look forward to like ordering like takeout and that's like like their very exciting moment of the week, you know, for Friday. And um I think restaurants just like continue to like provide like a tangible emotion. My dad's family owned a restaurant, my wife's family owned a restaurant in Wisconsin and you know, like everyone remembers celebrating at restaurants, having their first date, doing all that stuff. And, you know, like could you like help restaurants which have historically low margins like adapt to like you know like the changing technologies I mean DoorDash went public yesterday you know they're like over like 70 billion dollar market cap obviously there's like money to be made in restaurants so how do you like help restaurants like embrace technology and do that and and that's what like me and my business partners try to do for Rooster
1: and Rice well that is it's very cool to hear all about that you know I'm kind of curious, too, like, what are your opinions about working with close friends and family in terms of for business? We hear a lot of mixed things in our previous podcast about not working with friends, not working with family. But here you are, like, these are close friends that you guys are doing business with. Like, how has that affected your friendship and your relationship and everything? Oh, man. I mean... Like, like with my caviar
2: business partners, I mean, they already have like one round of it, right? Like they have their founders and caviar that they're like all close with and went through that experience with. So for us on like the, you know, like investments and restaurant side now, um, I mean, I I think it's awesome. Like comparatively, like, I think like a lot of people in the Asian hustle network and, and in general, like they start to kind of like realize like, you know, like corporate America is fine, but like, you know, the idea of it, right? Like back in the seventies, you just work at a company for 40 years, you get a pension and that's fine. You can like live well. I think like you start to really see where like society has gone. And if you do that now, like you will probably working for like 60 years because things are just so expensive and your middle income or middle american like corporate income just won't be enough to keep up so you almost like almost everyone i'm sure kind of goes in really excited about their first job and then like three years out they're like hmm how do i supplement my income you know like there's so much stuff on the internet so for us i mean it's great like yeah the restaurant stuff like they're they're you know like valleys some days like mountains other days but um i think what's awesome is like that's just like our baseline right like that's like why we like you know like spend time together and whatnot but um as a result you know We've become friends and or closer friends and you know, we like talk about other things in our life. Like uh I'm having a baby, it got puppy this year. And you know, know, like yeah, yeah, thank you. And um, yeah, they're they're probably some of my more supportive friends. Like I, I think it's awesome. And 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 you know, like business partners, like for sure it can get messy, but like there has to be a line too, right? Like, hey, like, like this is for our friendship and do you want to cross that line or not? I, I do have one more point on that actually. Cause like, I think like a lot of those like old school movies and stuff were like, yeah, you know, like business is like hardcore yeah. and you have to like, be able to like remove that friendship element otherwise like, and do what's best for the business. I think that's super different now. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> like nowadays, like you just don't know where like people are going to end up right? And you're going to stay connected no matter what. So I just don't think you should like screw over people. So, um, yeah, that, that's kind of the mentality that we have, um, going into stuff.
0: Yeah, that's really good to hear. Yeah. It's an ongoing debate. I feel like a lot of people, they have this bad connotation about like going into business with their friends, but you know, if you do it right and you're really close with that friend, you can be really honest with them, you know, and that's something that is really special for two people who had just met um, let's say if you are two strangers who I just met and you're going into business and you do have that relationship with them, then that's very special. But for two friends, you know, it's, it's something that even more special.
1: Yeah. I mean, I agree with you. I think it's a new way do, to do business nowadays. I can't mm-hmm. imagine doing business if you're not my friend, Yeah, you know, I, I, there's no way I can trust you with that large sum of money if mm-hmm. I don't know you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah.
2: Oh, that's a, that's a hundred percent. Right. Right. And like, I, especially in the Bay area. Cause like people raise on like no ideas and stuff like that. Like money is sometimes like not respected, I think. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, like, because we're all in it together and like, we're trying our best, uh, you know, even in tough times, we're going to like do everything we can to try and like help each other out. So, um, yeah, no, I, I actually really enjoy it. Like, um, there's a lot of times like being an entrepreneur part, like, um, you, you you get like doubt, right? What is that, like imposter syndrome? You're like, you wake up and you're like, things don't go perfectly, right? And you're like, man, it's today the day. Like, it, did I mess up today? Am I ruining my life? Oh. And um, yeah, having like your backbone on your friends going through it with you, like, yeah, it's awesome. That, that I mean, like... Like the DoorDash guys, I think we're just like Stanford friends. <laughs> and like, yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. awesome.
0: Well, I mean, we know that this year has been so, so big for you. You know, you're having a baby, you got a dog. Um, I We know that you open a few restaurants, you know, in shopping malls, Rooster sure. and Rice, and a well, in a mall. Well, I
1: also want to shout out the board uh, that Min used to be a part of our AHN board as well, giving yes. us advice on how to grow. So,
0: mm-hmm. you
1: know, we really appreciate Min and all his help.
0: Yeah. Definitely appreciate it. And so my question is, like, how do you determine, like, what is the best location to open up a restaurant?
2: Oh, for sure. Um, I mean, you can, like, think about things, like, as much as you want. Like, get all the demographic stats. Look at foot traffic. um, You know, like, do everything that you can analytically. And, um, like, what makes, like, a good restaurant, right? Restaurants are hospitality, and they're about, like, good vibes. And... Like, you just can't predict vibes. Mm -hmm. Like, so you do the best you can and you try to pick somewhere that you think will be successful and then you open it up and for some reason, like your staff isn't friendly or they build construction right in front of your place or, you know, financial district in San Francisco dies. I mean, like there's like a lot of things that like are out of your control. But I think like, Yeah. Like this is my whole take on restaurants. And, um, like if you make one restaurant, right. Like, and if it's like a hard margin business and there's all these variables like staff and DoorDash and deliveries and inventory, I mean, there's a lot of different components of a restaurant business that are very tough. If you just try to pick like one location, that's really like shooting. Like, are you going to pick like one stock? to invest in, right? No one advises you to do that. So I think if you have like a pretty good idea, like a very good concept, it looks pretty good. You can generate some margins. You have to open up a few. Like if you don't open up a few, you're right. Like you're really subjecting yourself for the luck of the draw and whether or not that one spot has good vibes. I know that vibes might not be the technical word, but like that that's pretty much it. And can you like, portion out your portfolio of stores where, you know, like some stores might be doing bad, some stores might be doing well. And overall is your like net positive. And I, I really think that's a better way of looking at it. And like, you know, hopefully you don't pick like five bad locations <laughs> so, oh, but, and, and hopefully all of that analysis will like even out where like, you'll pick more good locations than that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah
0: yeah and I mean investors they usually want to see you know multiple locations rather than just like one if you have one restaurant it's definitely like less appealing right
2: uh yeah I think so I mean like there are like situations where investors want to invest no matter what right like uh yeah. like like pock pock in Portland which oh. sadly closed I mean at one location but like well, I think they ended up opening some other ones in like Vegas or something, but they had that one location in Portland for a long time, or uh, uh Knox, right? So like they, they, yeah, they had like one location, Green Zone, where you guys are. Uh, I actually looked at all these like Hainan chicken restaurants when we we're looking, at it. and so like you know like one location, the cash flows well. Like, would you want to invest in it? Yeah, sure. I mean people people want to do like a cash flow investment but it's not like a growth investment which I think restaurants should be Mm -hmm. so I think most of the time they like multiple locations
1: yeah so speaking of investments too like a lot of people in age and always ask about how investments in restaurants even work you know they always say I want to put in 50k or 100k but they're actually not sure what to expect from their their cash flow or returns like how does that investment work? If I was like an investor, I want to put 100k or 50k into recent rice. Can you help break that down for our listeners to to better understand the industry? Uh, sure. Um, like again,
2: like I think like first you gotta look at yourself as an investor. And like when people ask me all the time what they're, you know, like hey, I really want to put my money to work. Kind of like that like three year corporate America thing. And like they saved a little bit. You know, what, what, what should I do? Where where should I put it? And, um, there's like really like some, like you could be a cash flow investor, which typically means there's less growth to be honest. And you're able to like, get like a safe, like coupon, hopefully better than like whatever savings accounts are, which are like, I think like 0.5%. And then Or you could be a growth investor, which means you're probably not going to get a lot of cash flow because the business itself is going to reinvest any profits into growth and expansion. So they don't really want to like, let cash go out the door to you as an investor because the payout is really like later at the end. Mm -hmm. So that's the first thing. And then in terms of restaurant investments, because so, so, so a typical restaurant investment for like a miniature growth plan, like five stores, like it has one store, it's going to grow to five. Um, it's typically done via a convertible note
1: mm-hmm.
2: or common equity. So a convertible note, you're promised a coupon of like, you know, like a certain interest rate. Um, and then you can participate in the upside, when the company raises an additional round. And so you can convert that into equity. So you get kind of like a downside protection and an upside lift. The upside lift is not going to be as high as when you do just common equity, common equity. You get no downside protection. You're not promised anything. You're just there for the growth of the business. And you're, it's a lot simpler of an arrangement. There's this document called the safe, It's very popular right now with tech companies because um, it's a document that kind of like YC Combinator, uh, Y Combinator kind of pioneered. And, um, you know, you kind of see like tech entrepreneurs who've had an exit and want to get into food and beverage, try to raise via safe. It just is like a mismatch to me in terms of industries, because I mean, tech companies can grow, you know, like be valued at millions of dollars with no product and you know that's not how food and beverage works like you need to have like a good product a good customer following and stuff like that so um i I think those are probably the two most common structures that you'll see okay awesome
1: and what has been like the most stressful situation you've been in in the restaurant industry where you're like oh man like why am i doing this myself type of situations
2: yeah, sure. So I I I guess like in twenty nineteen, um, we try to raise capital for all of our concepts, but it was for growth, right? Like I think like I think I had like a store planned for each of our restaurant investments uh up until July, like one store a month in 2020. Nice. And obviously COVID nineteen happened, which is like just like backflipped everything. But the other part about it is that like um, I think like a lot of the reason why restaurants fail too, you know, um, is they don't have good balance sheets Mm -hmm. and a lot of Bay area and restaurants in general, all they care about is like top line because top line means growth. Right. But it's really your balance sheet. That's like your safety net and your insurance. And For us, you know, we saw COVID happening, like we thought it was going to be like six months in March Mm -hmm. at at the worst, you know, like there was like a playbook that, um, you know, could be kind of like dramatically reduced in 60 days from some of the other countries. Mm -hmm. But, you know, we're preparing for six months. It's gone on for way longer, right? But um, we try to fortify the balance sheet. Mm -hmm. So we saw COVID coming and what happens during a recession is because the performance is less certain, there's less access to capital, right? So like your debt facilities go away, your credit lines go away, your vendor in payment terms. And instead in March, um, we just made all of those as max maximized as possible. So I mean, it's kind of crazy, but there were like instances at some of our locations where, you know, we took the credit line and then the next day that institution was like, we're not doing credit anymore for like a while. And, um, it, it's so sad. Cause like a lot of like my restaurant friends, like that don't have like a JP Morgan banker, like kind of like seeing this for them. Um, you know, like they were like, you know, I'll just wait the weekend and see like, kind of like where we end up with like restrictions and stuff. And they missed that window and, you know, likely probably going to have to shut down, I'm sure. So, I mean, it was literally like the, I mean, that was definitely the most stressful time. Like, like when COVID was first happening and making sure that we could like adapt to the new world for sure.
1: Wow. That's crazy to hear. that's insane.
0: And how are your restaurants doing now since, you know, the beginning of the pandemic, you know, what were some of the things that you had to implement and pivot during that process?
2: Yeah. For most of our places. Um, and, and like, I think like all of the management teams for sure think I'm the naysayer on the whole COVID thing, but, <laughs> um, and, and naysayer being like, I've kind of always thought it was going to be like lockdown for a while. And, uh, i'm probably one of the few that like think that like you know until there's like a proven vaccine that's super safe you know it's just not going to change the way consumers interact or governments like kind of um like let things happen and so like q4 was a perfect example like uh even in the summertime like things were like opening up and like all the management teams were like men you're so wrong like you know like can't you see we're already like progressing and i and for me q4 was always going to be the worst quarter because people get sick right like i always get sick in q4 and so like that plus covid you know like to seem like a recipe for disaster so for all of the stores that are open for the most part um we just did delivery and takeout. like even when like you could do outside dining, you could do indoor dining, you know, we just chose to, like, keep the same model, Mm -hmm. and the reason why, and, and, like, we probably left, like, dollars on the table, for sure, Mm -hmm. but the reason why is, like, it's so disruptive to, like, like, you know, like, train people, hire people, fire people if you have to shut down, and, like, we wanted to create, like, a culture to, like, be super stable, like, hey, like, you're working for us, I know crazy stuff is happening in food and beverage right now, but you know, this is going to be our baseline and we're just going to be there no matter what. So, um, for us, you know, like, uh, California shut down again, like two weeks ago. Um, we made no changes like zero changes. And like, I, I feel really bad again for like a lot of my restaurant friends. Cause they were like, just like buying all the equipment, the heaters for winter and training all their staff and bought all the food, food spoils, right? And uh, they were going to open like the next week and they couldn't open at all. So all of that working capital just goes to like, like poof. And so, yeah, yeah. It, it, I mean, it, it's a very tough, like, time frame for everyone. But, um, yeah, we just kind of, like, take, like, a very constant view on everything. And that's served us well so far.
1: Well, okay. that's, yeah. that's really good to hear yeah. that you've been pivoting pretty well, mm-hmm. especially during these tough times because, you know, we started a second Facebook group called Asian Foodie Network because we see so many restaurant owners posting inside AHN that they're worried. Mm-hmm. Um, glad you're doing really well but we kind of want to switch back to conversation a bit to, to talk more about yourself like mm-hmm. out of curiosity man how do you manage everything <laughs> like yeah. you know you still work uh you still have your job and yet you're mm-hmm. doing all these investments it always seems like you're always in a meeting somehow or somewhere <laughs> yeah. like wow. how do you how do you manage everything mentally and your time what is your time management skills like
0: yeah, we know you're a super busy guy, and, you know, you have a dog, too. You know, all these you're, new things coming in. You have so a kid
1: coming
2: How, do you,
0: how do, you <laughs> yeah, do you manage all of that?
2: Yeah, I mean, uh, like, 10 years ago, I was probably, like, um, I probably had, like, too much time. Like, I was just, like, hanging out with my friends, and, like, we were, like, going out and, and, and doing very 25 year old like things. And, um, I kind of like made this pivot like five years ago. Um, I remember I was like in New York with one of my friends and I was like, Hey, I'm just going to like try to go for it. And, um, this is the thing that's like really important for me. Um, I, you know, like, what was that? That was five years in banking. And you know, like banking is a very tough life. Like there's like a lot of TV shows about it that are like, whoa, you know, like they're, it's a, it's a tough grind. So, you know, I, I looked at it and I was like, wow, I really need to like, kind of like do something to kind of like separate from the grind. Mm -hmm. And for me, it's super worth it for me to work on like rooster and rice and working with my business partners on stuff because, um, it's like kind of like a good pivot away. It's like a mental break from the grinding part. Um, and then secondly, I think a lot of people could do it. Like, um, we're just like in this day and age where like, you know, like you can do so many things from like your phone and your laptop and like portable devices. And if you create like systems in place, you could totally do it like remotely and different things at the same time. And then lastly, you got to prioritize, right? Like, um, you got to prioritize on stuff that's like meaningful to you inside. So for me, like, JP Morgan and my banking job is very demanding, but that's also what pays my bills for the most part. So um that's number one. Right. I mean, like outside of family, friends, and like personal relationships, that's number one. And I gotta like do what I need to do for that. And then do I have time for everything else? And yeah, totally. But I think like um a lot of people also forget, like, you know, like kind of like they kind of confuse like the self-care, the mental health stuff, like what AHN kind of does and they ignore that portion as being like kind of like pivotal or they give it too much right i i think like it's like kind of balancing what you actually need because you most people like that tend to be successful need to be busy Mm -hmm. and to be busy you also need to kind of have like good mental like barriers as well so it's really finding that balance and like prioritization so Yeah. yeah and a lot of like you know like late nights and early mornings. I mean, Brian and I, that's how we got to know (laughs) each
1: other. (laughs) That's very true. So bring it down for us, man. What is your day to day life? Like what time you sleep, what time you wake up, man?
0: And what do you do? Like while you were talking about mental health, what do you do to manage it?
1: Yeah. I want to hear about a schedule first. Yeah, sure. Um, I think I can tell you like
2: what my 2019 schedule was, because that's just way more like applicable, I think. But like, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I used to sleep not too much, like four hours a night or so. And a uh, good portion of that was, you know, like JP Morgan. Mm-hmm. Then you got to be healthy and like work out. And then you got to do the restaurant finance stuff. Then, like, I, you know, I'm married. So I definitely had to spend quality time with my wife. And, <laughs> you know, like when wife was busy, had to make it up with my friends. And so it was definitely a juggling on that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think now, like, that I'm older and, like, the family thing is, like, coming, expanding, right? I think, like, that is, like, obviously going to eat into that. So, I think, like, everyone has, like, a certain amount of mental capacity, right? I think we've all kind of seen people like that. Like, I had, like, some college roommates that all they could do was, like, focus on studying, mm-hmm. partying, but they were super dirty. Like, they like it was, like, not in their <laughs> mental capacity ever to, like, just, like throw this piece of trash away like they couldn't do it they were running out and as an adult you know like that's that's a kind of like a joking one but as an adult we still have that same mental capacity but it's just a really like different way of like you know like adjusting for it and i i do think there's like some things like when you're like stuck like do you watch like too much tv like are you watching like the office for the fifth time is uh-huh. that really like 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 super beneficial by the fifth time like you know like taking a step back
1: yeah 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 wow uh, yeah yeah i mean i, I can kind of relate to that too it's mm-hmm. like i think my schedule is kind of funky so point of reference men and i will talk at all times of the day anytime <laughs> I, I, I mess with him at 1 a.m he'll respond 3 a.m he'll respond and 6 a.m he responds and then during the day too so i'm like does this guy ever sleep <laughs>
2: <laughs> I'll tell you, I'll tell you like one of my first jobs, um, we, we got BlackBerry for work uh-huh. and uh, it was like the last economic recession and uh, essentially the person who hired me gave me the BlackBerry and was like, if, if you don't respond within 15 minutes of any time, like your light goes on. Blackberries used to have different lights for yeah. different sectors. Yeah. And so um, no matter what light it is, if you don't respond within 15 minutes when it's addressed to you, like you're out. That, that, that's okay. what he said. Yeah, it was definitely like it was totally an extreme, like at the time and based on like what you are doing. But like, you know, I kind of, I kind of get that, right? Like, uh-huh. like, like the whole thing is about like responsiveness and like, if someone's like sends you something, then they're probably waiting to progress on their work for you. Like, not to say that you need to like adjust your whole schedule for someone but like if you can respond and like kind of like communicate at that level like i i honestly think like that's where like things go like pretty exponentially faster and it actually helps you like to be honest but like when you spend a day to respond and they spend a day and then you wait two days and i mean then you get nowhere so um, yeah, I actually think it makes like me more efficient by doing it
1: too. Your sense of urgency yeah, is off the off the charts, and then by ed, far one. of yeah. the
0: best. Additionally, that's like super respectful too, and just out of common courtesy, you know. And it looks yeah. good. Oh
2: yeah, for know. sure.
1: Yeah. yeah, for sure, for
2: sure. Yeah, but now I'm like super dumb. I can't like handle like if I like forget to do that right away now, like
1: I won't remember. So
2: I <laughs> need to do it. Yeah. I remember like two <laughs> days later. <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> I can relate to you. <laughs> I usually respond immediately if I see it respond. But if I'm like, okay, I would just respond to him later a week later, I'm like, oh crap, we're gonna respond. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. I'm like, yeah. Yeah.
0: So what are some things that you wish you could have told your younger self before, you know, you started your journey on in like the food industry? Or and, anything. Or anything, yeah, yeah. Like
1: back in college.
0: Yeah, maybe like back in college, yeah.
2: Oh, okay. Yeah. Those are good questions, man. So um, I think like back in the day, I I read a ton of books, like Mm -hmm. a lot of self-improvement books. I probably read like most of the really like classically popular ones. Mm -hmm. And I got to a point where like, you know, they started saying the same thing right? Like they eventually hit on like common themes and like common attitudes or situations. And like, I just like my marginal benefit for reading the next one was I, I just knew like hit a, hit a plateau. Yeah. But I probably waited, like, honestly, I probably read two years extra of books before I started doing stuff. And what I really wish I could like tell myself is like, hey, why don't you just pick like five of them mm-hmm. and just read the top five, see what the commonalities are and try it out for yourself, what you think will work for you. And then if it doesn't work, yeah, why don't you read five more and like do it that way and do more of like a try. Cause I think a lot of times like people like want to do stuff and they don't know what to do. And then they look to the books to see like as like a playbook as to what to do. Cause those people are successful, but everyone's different, right? Like um, everyone has like a different, like way of getting there. So yeah, you can like take some of the lessons and it'll apply to certain situations, but you gotta just like try it out. So I probably wasted too much time reading about it and not doing it. And that's probably like my lesson for people or myself, even my Past off yeah that's a,
0: that's a good point i feel like a lot of people they try to look for the book that will change their lives mm-hmm. because yeah. a lot of people say like oh rich dad poor dad changed my life right yeah but like this book changed my life so a lot of people look for oh when is that book gonna come to me and change my life but you have yeah. to really apply what you read in each and every single one of those books
1: yeah that's you, right yeah you, you also keep in mind when you're reading a lot of books too that you know, it may sound great, but no one really talks about their struggles Mm -hmm. through their books, you know? So, yeah, I mean,
2: I mean like, that's totally true, but also like, um, like, 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 like Warren Buffett, right? Like everyone reads like Intelligent Investor, the Buffett biography and all that. And like, they're just like, all I have to do is read Buffett's F* and I'm just going to copy his investments a quarter later. But like, Yeah. Think about like Warren Buffett, like during the last financial crisis was able to like save companies Mm -hmm. because he was just, he just had that much capital and you're never going to have like those billions of dollars probably, probably to like do the same type of deal that made him rich. But like, is it like his mentality, right? Like, I think like a lot of people even look, oh, he eats like a steak like every week and like he drives like a pretty like old car and those things aren't important. I'm going to apply it. What if those stuff makes you happy? You know, like, what if you want to buy, like drive a Tesla, you know? And like, because you have the Tesla that motivates you. So, um, I think they're like good things to know. Like, that's how people think. And like, that will help you later on. But like, you just got to do like, what kind of works for you. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So what are your goals for 2021? Oh, Man, that's a good question. I, I feel
2: like I spent so much of my time in 2020 trying to figure out what 2020 was going to be like. Uh-huh. I, I haven't really thought about 2021. Um, I think I'm just going to, you know, like try to... Uh, you know, have the kid and like transition into that. Um, I'm thinking about like, kind of like changing my lifestyle. I already kind of like started doing that to incorporate like a little bit more health and longevity. You know, it's funny too, the the kid thing is like completely a game changer because um, (laughs) so like, I just thought I could like always like work and like you know like work and be tired and i don't care because I, I i like like the adrenaline from it and stuff and then when you have like about to have the kid i'm like oh man i just need to like be healthy and be around <laughs> for the kid because like that's like all he wants for me right uh, yeah. it, it's gonna be a boy and uh yeah so like yeah all he wants is for me to like be there as long as possible. Yeah. So like that kind of like shifted my priorities to like kind of like think about stuff that way a little bit more. So that's probably it. And then make sure kind of like all the businesses like kind of home along. Yeah. Yeah. I mean I think I think twenty twenty one will be like pretty um exciting. How about you yeah. guys?
1: Yeah, same. We have yeah, a lot of big plans plan. rolling up for twenty twenty one.
2: Yeah.
1: I me, mean, a lot of it is international plans because uh you Know we think the United States is still going to be very much in COVID in 2021. Yeah.
0: And if we do in person events, it's it's going to have to be outside of the US. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. So, a lot of so, same thing, man. I'll keep, I'll keep you accountable to your fitness goals. We'll work out pretty often. You know, just let me know whenever you're free.
2: <laughs> yeah, sure. I I finally did the like third COVID thing besides baby and puppy and I got Peloton. So (laughs) yeah, we'll be able to connect or something. That's
0: awesome. So, so what is that one advice that you can give to an aspiring entrepreneur?
2: Yeah. I mean like, you know, been in HN for, you know, like since the beginning and one thing I like really love about HN is just like, there's a lot of people willing to like help you. And, um, but how do you find those people? And I think like, you know, having something like an AHN now where if someone wanted to like start something and, uh, you know, like tell the community or find someone like, you know, like there's like a pretty hyper-focused community of Asian entrepreneurs that want to help other Asian entrepreneurs in this Facebook group. So that, that's what I think, like, I would definitely start with that. Um, secondly, it's, uh, you know, like just to try it out. I mean, like you gotta like do something that's risk based for you where you're maybe not betting the whole farm on the, on the first go, but, um, yeah, like try, try some stuff, um, figure some stuff out. And then lastly, like I would totally try to find like, you know, people that you trust to do it with because it it is a lonely journey. And, um, I just think it kind of like makes like a bumpy ride smoother to have, like, uh, compatriots in it. Yeah, I
1: I love that a lot. Yeah,
0: thank you, advice. Thank you so much, Ben. So Mm -hmm. where can our listeners learn more about you, and do you have any last remarks?
2: Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, I think that you guys, as the founders of AHN, are incredibly accessible, and you guys spend so much time trying to think about trying to think about like how to help the Asian community with hate as a virus and, you know, forming the board and all of the things that, you know, like I've seen personally, you know, like how the organization has changed. So I think that, you know, you guys being so accessible right now, you guys are probably going to hate me for this, you know, like try to, try to, try to like, kind of like access you guys, you know, and get to know you guys. I, I think you guys do like a fantastic job at like connecting people too like um i'm selling my emerville condo and brian you know being in the real estate industry was like one of the first people i reached out to to who we could recommend and and that's kind of like the beauty of hn is like just like helping each other out and connecting and um yeah I, I i really think members should um start to kind of take advantage before it gets too big you know and, and yeah. they have and they have to go to like Brian 2.0 and Maggie <laughs> 3.0. <laughs> Thanks,
0: man. Now, now we're gonna have the members expect that 15-minute time frame to respond back.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. I are gonna a secretary <laughs> now. <laughs> <laughs> They'll hold you to
0: it. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much, man. Where where can our listeners find out more about you online?
2: How can reach um, out to I'm you, actually man? like, uh, I'm actually like pretty private. Um, I think it's like the nature of being in banking is like, you're like in a shroud of secrecy, but um, they can just like add me on Facebook. And like, you know, if they send me a Facebook message, I'm probably going to respond to them within 15
1: minutes too. So. <laughs> yeah, <no> <laughs> <laughs> okay. Awesome. Well,
0: thank you so much, man. It was awesome hearing your story.
1: Yeah. Thank you, man. Appreciate you.
0: All right. Take care guys. Miss you, you guys. Too. Bye. Bye.
1: Hey guys, we hope you enjoyed this episode. Please subscribe to the show.
0: We would like to get to the top 10 on iTunes, so be sure to leave us a five-star review. We release an episode every single Wednesday, so stay tuned.
1: Thank you guys so much.